There are those who believe that life here is being monitored by life out there. And there are those here that know it is true. A troubling and persistent phenomenon has been occurring throughout history to people on Earth for centuries. The belief that they are being taken by beings from some other place, perhaps outer space or another dimension. These people have real memories of being taken secretly against their will by apparently non-human entities and subjected to complex physical and psychological procedures. People claiming to have been abducted are usually called abductees or experiencers. There are famous modern cases such as the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, the Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker abduction, and the Travis Walton abduction. However, for every well-documented abduction case on record, there are hundreds of less known cases where people have experienced alien abductions. Each have unique differences, but all have a common thread. The term abductee has been used a lot over the years uh, to explain how um, some unknown intelligence, it might be extraterrestrial, it might even be from another dimension or another time, have that these entities have come to take people against their will to do things, they, they take them away, they do things to these people that are very unpleasant and the whole thing leaves the person that went through this type of experience um, very victimized but um, the term experiencer is a bit more loose it is just indicating that somebody's encountered um, an intelligence but not necessarily been traumatized by it in all cases, not necessarily been taken um, in all cases, just they've come into contact with it. Um, the term contactee actually was another term that was used um, back you know, in the 50s, a little bit in the 60s, that kind of a thing. It's no longer in vogue, but experiencer is, I think, the, the proper term for it because not everybody's taken and those who go are not always taken against their will. The study of the alien abduction phenomenon often begins with a UFO sighting. The sighting may occur in childhood and the individual will have UFO encounters throughout their lives. Many abductees remember their encounters, but some require a hypnosis regression to draw out details of their experience. Often they do not realize that an early childhood encounter has led to a lifetime of alien experiences. And my whole family were going to bed at 11 o'clock and uh, I looked out the window of my bedroom and I saw this uh, green shimmering light in the sky and a c billowing clouds 
a small point in the sky, maybe uh, 500 tops a thousand feet in the air. So it was well within our atmosphere. And uh, the smoke was billowing out and green, green shimmering lights behind it. I called to my mother, uh, the sky is green. And she comes in and she looks, sure enough, the sky was green. And uh, pretty soon my whole family, my parents, my sister and myself were out on the front lawn. Uh, so it was summer because we were still in our pajamas and uh, house coats. Father didn't know what it was. My mother, my mother said, it's the second coming. Very re religious woman. And uh, she thought it was the second coming because none of us had any clue as to what it was. But it was a huge craft, perfectly silent, huge round uh, lights of various colors, none of which were FAA standard, and uh, <clears throat> just sat there. And then I looked out, we looked off to the, to the left, and here's the, a little funnel cloud of smoke coming down. The room was lit up completely, but my eyes were closed. I knew somehow not to open my eyes. There was something telling me, don't open your eyes because you won't like what you're going to see. Um, eventually, I did open my eyes because I could hear a noise in the room. There was like scuffling on the floor. I opened my eyes. There were three small grey beings with big black eyes, big heads and very skinny spindly limbs. Um, they, they pulled me up out of the bed and then with one behind me and one each side of me holding my elbows walked me towards the window. And I'm thinking, well the windows are closed guys so you better open them before we go any further. So there was this rationality and irrationality going on at the same time. And uh, it was later, you know, my, my sister just didn't pay any, any more attention after that. And under hypnosis, it was revealed that this little tornado of uh, smoke that came down had a craft, a smaller craft in it. And small gray beings came out of that craft, took me, and then took her. She remembers them taking me and then taking her to be examined. She, they don't, she doesn't know what happened with me, but she knows what happened with her. And then returned us. And when we, we don't know if our parents were taken or not, because when she was returned, I was back on the lawn, and so were my parents. My, we were all just looking up, like we were frozen in time, okay? And as we approached the window, I closed my eyes. And as I did, I felt this stickiness. It was like, it was a stickiness and a feeling of something being pulled very slowly across my face. It wasn't painful, it was just very, very weird. Um, the next, I opened my eyes because I felt cold, I felt wind on my face, and I was aware that I was now floating outside of the window, three stories up, looking down at the car park with a very bright light above my head. Um, I couldn't really see what was above my head, I was just aware of this very bright light. One little grey on each elbow, I was aware of them, and we, we floated up into the craft. And then I can only assume this is the missing time phenomenon. <clears throat> okay, so, so 
when we were all back in place, we were switched back on, so to speak, and the craft had departed. All that was left was that smoke. The late Professor John Edward Mack, a respected Harvard University psychiatrist, was asked to investigate an experiencer's case and became so perplexed by the phenomenon that he devoted a substantial amount of time to investigating additional cases. His desire was to understand objectively what was going on. Professor Mack eventually concluded that the only phenomenon in psychiatry that adequately explained the patient's symptoms in several of the most compelling cases was post-traumatic stress disorder. This would imply that the patient genuinely believed that the remembered frightening incident had really occurred. These people have been examined by myself, they've been tested psychologically, they are of a, above average intelligence, they are of sound mind, they've been shown as of su superior mental functioning by the testers, so they, there is not indication of any kind of psychiatric condition that can account for this that I've been able to find. In fact, when one abductee hears the story of another abductee, they react with shock because they don't want to believe it's true. They would rather believe it's a dream or a form of mental illness than that this is something real because it's so shattering to their notion of reality. And that's, that's happened over and over again among the people I've been working with. Alien abductions can occur at any time throughout an individual's life. They are rarely a one-time event. Many abductees have endured encounters their entire lives, including when they were very young. These experiences have a profound effect on the individual, with some being traumatic, while others are completely benign. My very first memory in life is actually of an encounter. <laughs> I was two years old, I was in my crib late at night and a face came into the room and stared down at me uh, at the foot of the crib. It was kind of skeletal, that's how I was able to put it into some context because at, at the tender age of two you don't really have a background in saying, oh that's an alien. Well maybe today's, you know, television. Back in 1973, you know, that was the closest I could equate it to. But it wasn't a dream, it didn't go away. I started to scream and it continued to stare down at me. And my parents in the other room, um, I could hear my mother's voice saying, go back to sleep, go back to sleep, it's okay. And she never came to the room. And after a few moments, the face just got up um, and, and left the room. I say face, there was a body attached to it, but it was so dark I really couldn't make it out. And uh, I could tell it was on its way over to my brother's room. <laughs> 
The origins of these beings are sometimes disputed by alien experiencers. The most common and accepted theory is that aliens are from outer space and are traveling here from some distant planet. They are here to observe humans and abductions are situations whereby the extraterrestrials are conducting medical examinations to better understand our species. However, a recent and more complex theory involves the aliens using an interdimensional corridor to reach Earth, and many may not even be from our universe at all. We're watching as the sky seemed to be giving birth to this huge craft. Uh, the lights were, were, were there and it just kind of came through a vortex and that's that's why I believe that the extraterrestrials come from other planets and or other dimensions uh, through a vortex. They uh, instead of going from point A to point B they fold time and leave their space-time and arrive at ours instantaneously. Not only are the origins of extraterrestrials a mystery, their motivations are also a subject of much conjecture. Clearly, they are interested in our bodies, as most abductees describe procedures that appear to be medical in nature and focus on our genetic makeup. Yet they also appear to be concerned with our psychological makeup and our attitudes toward the environment, society, and even our spiritual development. Often the extraterrestrials will intervene and direct an experiencer's life in a direction they prefer rather than allowing nature to take its course. The, the teen years were definitely the height of, of what had happened to me, but in my early 20s, um, there were still a lot of things going on in my life. Um, at that age, in my early 20s, they became very interested in things like whom I was dating, that kind of a thing. In fact, they had, um, it seems, very intentionally scared away a woman that they thought wasn't right for me. Um, she and I were out um, in a fairly secluded uh, part of some woods and uh, doing some stargazing. and. Uh, Suddenly, uh, we were both paralyzed, and they approached us, three little gray guys, and they started very harshly inspecting her, not touching her, just uh, just very, you know, staring at her very fiercely, and and they were like, no, she's no good, not this one, no, no, and um, and then they left, and the paralysis broke, and we hightailed it back to the car, and um, she broke up with me immediately after. Um, although I hadn't told her yet because we'd only been dating a couple months about my experiences, um, it seemed like she understood that what had just happened to us had everything to do with me and, and she was right in that respect. The majority of abductees do not appear to be deluded, confabulating, lying, self-dramatizing, or suffering from a clear mental illness. While psychopathology is indicated in some isolated alien abduction cases, 
assessment by both clinical examination and standardized tests has shown that, as a group, abduction experiencers are no different from the general population. Psychologists have argued that abductees' mental health is no better or worse than the average individual. The abduction phenomenon has been going on for a very long time, perhaps even in antiquity. Cave paintings made by our ancestors are strikingly similar to modern-day descriptions of aliens. History is replete with mystical tales that sound very much like alien abductions or extraterrestrial encounters. Such tales are often found in our holy texts. For example, the Bible contains many stories that could be interpreted as alien encounters. Biblical UFO hypothesis <clears throat> tries to uh, examine the connection between uh, those uh, anomalous aerial phenomenon that was witnessed 2,000, 4,000 years ago by Ezekiel, a wheel within a wheel, Moses, pillar of cloud, pillar of uh, fire, chariots of fire, the uh, Romans used to call them uh, flying shields. And uh, because they looked like the shields that they went off into battle with in the sky. And uh, so, my my theory and it, it wasn't my original theory actually you know uh, Eric Van Doniken has, has said in his chariots of the gods these things were in fact uh, forerunners of today's UFO phenomena and what they were seeing then <clears throat> were the same type of or other dimensional beings that were coming and just like when uh, Columbus arrived on uh, American shores, just like when Captain Cook arrived in Hawaii, uh, they all revered them as gods because they came over the, the flat earth, you know, over the horizon in these huge canoes with uh, sheets to catch the wind, strange looking uh, men with uh, different kind of clothes, different colored skin, and they must be gods. is not the only holy text that contains references to aliens. The Hindu Mahabharata describes weapons reminiscent of guided rockets, beam weapons, and nuclear devices being used in an ancient war between alien races. 
technologies that, from their description, could only be advanced propulsion systems as well. During medieval times, tales of the succubus and other fairy creatures are reminiscent of extraterrestrial visitations. In fact, throughout history, references to aliens, gods, or other beings having come from the stars are quite common. Many researchers today are beginning to piece together a theory that we ourselves may be the product of alien intervention. Humans could be a hybrid created by the extraterrestrials and left here on Earth to be monitored in some long-term experiment. but there are species that <clears throat> we look just like. The reason we look just like them is because I believe that that particular race or a race like them uh, came to Earth how many millennia ago and through uh, genetic engineering used their DNA, mixed their DNA with a simian creature, earthbound being and uh, created <clears throat> our species so yes they are our creators and you go back to the book of Genesis uh, you know the Orthodox religion is going to say uh, God said he made us in his image well no it doesn't it says God said let us make them in our image well who, who's God talking to so the apes and the monkeys that we see today were not part of this uh, hybridization. We are. Alien abductions are often benign. Some even report them to be enjoyable. However, a large number of experiencers tell tragic tales of being taken. Harsh medical examinations, invasive physical and psychological procedures, as well as sinister techniques used by the extraterrestrials. When I was seven, uh, I woke up and saw a big black hole hanging above my head in the bed and out of that uh, uh, metal metallic cable um, came out through the portal that was above my head and started 
kicking off electricity and, and just whipping around uh, above my head. And as it did that, I felt a, a high vibration running, pulsing through me. And it was very heavy. It, it almost felt like I could just explode. And as it revved up, um, you know, I, I started to feel engulfed by, by what was this black hole in front of me. And then I, suddenly I found myself on board what appeared to be a craft. I didn't go through the front door, so to speak. I came in, however, this contraption allowed me to transmit over to it, the craft. And uh, I was in a small room with two little gray guys. They led me into what appeared to be an examination room. And there was another little gray in there. And then they left me in, alone in the room. Now, normally when I'm taken, I'm paralyzed. They keep me under close watch. But I'm like, well, this is strange. They just kind of left me alone here in this room. And, you know, they don't seem to care that I'm here. So I'm going to see what's in that door there. So I walked off and I exited a door from the room, walked down a hallway, and I looked back and they were following me. It seemed like they very quickly realized I left the room, but just wanted to see what I would do. And as I walked around this sort of curving hallway, I came to a dead end. So I had to come back. And as I started back towards them, a door on my right opened up. And I could tell that's where they actually wanted me to go. We went into this room. There was a big metal chair in the center of the room. And uh, they had me sit in it. And the little gray guys that were following me around, they were about three foot tall, kind of a charred gray. And they ushered me into a room where there was a slightly taller being that looked a lot like them, but had lighter skin. He was about five feet tall and had a very doctorly type of uh, feel to him. And as I sat in the chair, he looked at me and he said, okay, be very good and you'll get to see the color blue. Now, as a kid, you, you know, you expect, you know, be very good. You get ice cream, a sucker, some kind of treat, something like that. But the color blue, you know, I'm like, these guys don't really understand children very well, do they? Simply being taken against your will is frightening enough. But what if our own government is aware of abductions and are powerless to prevent it. Or even more frightening is the theory that they are in league with the aliens and have signed treaties to allow humans to be taken and used as the aliens see fit. If the government is aware of the abduction phenomenon, would it matter to an abductee? I believe that the government knows so much more about this phenomena than they're letting on that even finding out the tip of the iceberg of what they know is going to put people in shock. Um, but as I'm in actively involved in the local MUFON chapter in Michigan, we get uh, currently about 200 sightings a year just in Michigan. And that is enough to fill your plate several times over with UFO cases. 
So to me, it's almost at a point where I don't care what the government knows and what they're hiding. I've got an embarrassment of riches here with the number of UFO cases coming into our local chapter. You know, I, I don't need them to, to try to hide anything because it's all, you know, just flowing freely now. People are talking about what's happening to them openly. While alien abductions did not achieve widespread attention until the 1960s, there were many similar stories circulating decades earlier. These early abduction-like accounts have been dubbed paleo-abductions by UFO researcher Jerome Clark. In an 1897 edition of the Stockton, California Daily Mail, Colonel H.G. Shaw claimed he and a friend were harassed by three tall, slender humanoids whose bodies were covered with a fine, downy hair. Colonel Shaw reported that these beings tried to kidnap the pair. The 1955 publication of Harold T. Wilkins' Flying Saucers Uncensored declared that Carl Hunrath and Wilbur Wilkinson, who had claimed they were contacted by aliens, had disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Wilkins reported his speculation that the duo was the victims of alleged abduction by flying saucers. A wave of contactee cases emerged in the 1950s as well. These individuals claimed to have been contacted by aliens. However, the substance of contactee narratives is often regarded as quite different from alien abduction accounts. Widespread publicity was generated by the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case of 1961. The Hill incident was probably the prototypical abduction case and was perhaps the first in which the claimant described beings that later became widely known as the Greys and in which the beings were said to explicitly identify as extraterrestrial origin. An entire subculture has developed around the subject with various groups and a detailed mythos explaining the reasons for abductions. The various aliens, the greys, reptilians, Nordics and so on are said to have specific roles, origins and motivations. Abduction claimants do not always attempt to explain the phenomenon but some take independent research interest in it themselves and explain the lack of greater awareness of alien abduction as the result of either extraterrestrial or governmental interest.
Often, abductees share experiences or recall meeting on board a spacecraft. However, most alien abductions occur to individuals with no way to prove what has happened to them. Uh, there's a couple um, different ways where other people are involved in these types of experiences. Sometimes you find yourself aboard a craft or in some situation where you run into other people. I've never been one of those people to be in that situation where I've been aboard anything and I've seen anybody else, although it's not uncommon. In fact, uh, there's a lot of stories that uh, people from people I know quite well who um, have been aboard a craft, have met somebody, and then later in life have actually met that person in real life. And um, then they were like, oh yes, you know, we've met somewhere before and they figure out it was on board. Um, I have been uh, involved in experiences along with other people. I've seen UFOs with other people present. Um, there was uh, the time where I was dating a girl and um, they came up and paralyzed us both. And um, that experience was definitely a shared one. So it doesn't always happen when somebody's alone. I mean, go figure Betty and Barney Hill, one of the most infamous cases, of course, is about a couple being taken. So sometimes there are other people involved. Most of the time, you know, they just isolate you and, and take you, just the individual. Dr. Ronald Sprinkle, a University of Wyoming psychologist, became interested in the abduction phenomenon in the 1960s. For some years, he was probably the only academic figure devoting any time to studying or researching abduction accounts. Sprinkle became convinced of the phenomenon's reality and was perhaps the first to suggest a link between abductions and cattle mutilations. Eventually, Sprinkle came to believe that he had been abducted by aliens in his youth. After that, he was forced from his job in 1989. Being an abductee often has repercussions on an experiencer's career and social life. Some have even turned the experiences into ways of expressing themselves and educating others. It has not affected my career or social life. Uh, I didn't talk much, I was a, a dye maker. And I didn't talk much about uh, the UFO phenomenon. In fact, after I retired in 2000, uh, I got a show on Comcast cable TV uh, called We Are Not Alone. And some of the guys saw me and just could not believe that, uh, you know, Dave, look at Dave Twitchell's on, uh, on TV talking about UFOs. Well, some, a percentage of them were were into that, and a, per, uh, a bigger percentage were not. But uh, I did that show, that TV show, for 10 years before I gave it up, and now I've, I've been on WHFR radio for the past six years doing the same show, one-hour interviews. I've worked several places where when they found out about what had happened to me, I could feel a distance suddenly. Um, I was never really openly ridiculed at work, though I do think that at one of the places I worked at, um, 
they let me go when they found out about my experiences. Um, but um, as time went on, I found myself working at a college, you know, a very open-minded environment. And as I've sort of come out there about my um, experiences to some degree, um, they've been very supportive. And, and it's been you know, a, a wonderful experience being able to actually talk about that other side of my life that, that had happened to me all these years. So I, I feel fairly blessed in that respect. My family has had a number of unusual experiences as well, so they've always been supportive. And social, socially, my friends from high school have, uh, you know, I've told them, you know, uh, all along what's happened to me, and they're still right behind me. And I, I've been, again, I would say blessed that I, I've been fortunate enough to be able to share what's happened to me um, without too much backlash. Late Bud Hopkins, a painter and sculptor by profession, had been interested in UFOs for some years. In the 1970s, he became interested in abduction reports and began using hypnosis to extract more details of dimly remembered events. Hopkins soon became a figurehead of the growing abductee subculture. The mid and late 1980s saw the involvement of two esteemed academic figures, Harvard psychiatrist John Mack and historian David M. Jacobs. This decade brought a major degree of mainstream attention to the subject. Works by Bud Hopkins, Whitney Strieber, David M. Jacobs, and John Edward Mack presented alien abduction as a genuine phenomenon. Jacobs and Hopkins argued that alien abduction was far more common than earlier suspected. They estimated that tens of thousands of North Americans had been taken by unexplained beings. Furthermore, Jacobs and Hopkins believed that there was an elaborate scheme underway that the aliens were attempting to create human-alien hybrids. Um, it seemed a lot of things that were psychological, uh, more mental than physical. In some cases, in, in other cases, yeah, it just seemed like, let's grab his body, do something to it, and dump him back. Um, very traumatic. I had an awful time trying to sleep at night. You know, it was usually with the light on, um, TV or radio. Would usually have the dog in the room. I would put stuff in front of the door so that nobody could get in, that kind of a thing. And it continued into my early 20s. Though the motives for hybrids were unknown, there were anecdotal reports of phantom pregnancy related to UFO encounters at least as early as the 1960s. Bud Hopkins and especially David M. Jacobs were instrumental in popularizing the idea of widespread systematic interbreeding efforts on the part of the alien intruders. 
Jacobs presents this scenario as not only plausible, but self-evident. Dr. David Jacobs, author of The Threat, says, the entire abduction event is precisely orchestrated. All of the procedures are predetermined. There is no standing around and deciding what to do next. The beings are task-oriented, and there's no indication whatsoever that they've been able to find of any aspect of their lives outside of performing the abduction procedures. Alien abductions follow a standard scenario. First, the capture. An abductee is rendered incapable of resisting and taken from terrestrial surroundings to an apparent alien spacecraft. Then, the examination. Physiological and psychological procedures, training and testing, or sexual liaisons. Next is the conference. The abductors communicate with the abductee or direct them to interact with specific individuals for some purpose, usually instructed telepathically. In some cases, abductees are then given a tour of the ship. Abductees often rapidly forget the majority of their experience, either as a result of fear, medical intervention, or both. The abductees are returned to Earth, occasionally in a different location from where they were allegedly taken, or with new injuries. And, but as I sat there, um, I was just sort of staring at his giant, giant, big black liquid eyes, and I felt a, a sharp pain on my right arm. And when I looked down, I saw there was a cut across my arm. And then I saw it heal right before my eyes, right when I was looking at it. I don't know what caused the cut. I didn't actually see a scalpel or a laser or any, any type of device cutting it. I just saw, you know, felt the pain and I saw the cut and then I looked and I saw it heal up into a scar. And I looked back at, at, at the being and suddenly his black eyes turned a bright backlit blue. Very bright blue, like he had these lights almost right from his head. And it was, it was very bizarre, but at the same time, it was beautiful. The, his eyes were such a wonderful, deep, lustrous, cerulean blue, and it was very tranquilizing. It was very calming. It was peaceful. It was wonderful. And uh, I just lost myself in these eyes. And then I woke up in bed the next day, and um, I had the scar there, and I still have the scar. In fact, um, later that same day, um, the story wasn't over yet. I was playing in the backyard with a friend of mine, um, six-year-old from a few doors down, and this mist rolled into the backyard, and there was a little gray guy in it, and he just came to check up on me, make sure I was fine, and, and it only took a second for him to figure out I was, and then the mist and the little gray guy just continued on through the backyard of the, the next-door neighbors and kept going. Um, my friend didn't even seem aware that there was anything in the mist. We definitely both saw the mist, but only I saw the little guy. And then, you know, that was probably about the end of that one, but I still had the scar. Many experiencers describe unusual feelings after an abduction. They may have a profound sense of love, a high similar to those induced by certain drugs, 
or a mystical experience accompanied by a feeling of oneness with God, the universe, or their abductors. Whether this is the result of a metaphysical change, Stockholm Syndrome, or prior medical tampering remains a mystery. The abductee must then cope with the psychological, physical, and social effects of the experience. If alien abductions are happening, shouldn't we see an effect on society? Or would something so subtle be difficult to emerge in social behavior? The UFO phenomenon has been with us for centuries. Is it possible that our society is being directed by the extraterrestrials? Could genetic changes in us alter our behavior? and our attitudes toward the phenomenon changing dramatically since the modern era of UFOs began. Uh, sadly, I don't see much of a change in, in people from, uh, from years ago, from centuries ago. I really don't see it. I see a change in technologies. I see a change in weaponry. I see a change in uh, the intelligence as to the knowledge of the world around us, the um, universe in which we live. But I don't see a change in human attitude, uh, sadly. Uh, and all you have to do is read the paper to, to, to learn that. Some proposed psychological alternative explanations of the abduction phenomenon have included hallucinations, temporary schizophrenia, epileptic seizures, and parasomnia, near-sleep mental states such as night terrors and sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis in particular, a theory often accepted by skeptics, is accompanied by hallucinations and a particular sensation of malevolence or a neutral presence of something in the room. Though usually people experiencing it do not interpret that something as aliens. You can write it off to uh, the abduction phenomenon, write it off to uh, sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis. Yes, there's such a thing as sleep paralysis. Everybody's uh, woken, uh, awakened, uh, half awake, half asleep, and uh, thought they saw something in the room. Now, this has happened. At the same time, uh, a goodly number, I think uh, Bud Hopkins, the late Bud Hopkins said, it was like 30, 33%, one third of his cases were abductions that happened at work while a person uh, was wide awake and conscious. For example, my sister walked into her bedroom perfectly conscious and the lights were out, but this is one of her weird experiences. There was a blue light in her room. Her room was illuminated with this blue light, although the lights were off. She walked in and she looked around, she said, what is this blue light as she stood in the doorway? And the next thing she knows, there's no light in the room. She's sitting on the end of the bed. Now she just gets up, gets ready for bed, and goes to bed, paying it no more attention. 
proving alien abductions is difficult without obvious physical evidence. When an experiencer is returned, all he has to prove his encounter are the fragments of memories left intact by the aliens. Though throughout the history of UFO studies, countless cases have occurred that do indeed present physical evidence, many are not aware of this, or the facts of a case are simply ignored. Details in each case often are the proof an encounter happened, but even with specific details, we're left with the account and the sincerity of the witness. I think a lot of people, if they don't see it and it doesn't affect their life, they have the luxury of ignoring the phenomena. I mean, if they buy into it and it questions what they've been taught in their religion, for example, why would they say, why would they entertain that if they're comfortable with their religious teaching? Uh, if it doesn't affect their life in any other respect, um, you know, they can, they, they can choose to ignore it unless it comes and you know comes knocking at your door you know i think a lot of people say i don't have time or space for this in my life and and until it becomes an issue where it's going to affect my world then i'm just going to ignore it if the evidence that uh, has presented itself uh, both uh, circumstantial and direct evidence is not enough to sway people's opinion, then nothing's going to prove their existence except maybe, and I say maybe, them landing on the White House lawn, which almost happened uh, a couple times, the earliest is 52, I believe, 54, I think it's 1952, uh, when they overflew uh, the White House. That's when Truman said, shoot him down. You know, he's all right with while he's in Washington and uh, there's a crash out in Roswell, New Mexico. Now that's all right, we'll deal with that. But when they start overflying my house, shoot them down if they don't answer your hail. California podiatrist Dr. Roger Lear claims to have removed alien implants from patients. Alien implants is a term used in ufology to describe a physical object placed in someone's body after they have been abducted by aliens. Claimed abilities of the implants range from telepresence, mind control, and biotelemetry, the way we tag wild animals for study. As with UFO subjects in general, the idea of alien implants has seen very little attention from mainstream scientists. We found in several cases that they put out an electromagnetic field measurable on a gauss meter of about six milligauss. And if anybody's into electronics or radio, you'll know that's a pretty, pretty strong uh, magnetic field. Uh, when they're taken out of the body, they don't do anything. Also on an instrument called a trimeter, we get a mid-range reading on a combined scale, electrical scale and magnetic scale, and uh, that's also a pretty strong reading. We have uh, an electrical engineer that we've used, and he has uh, designed a special probe that's connected with an oscilloscope so we can read the wave and see what it looks like, and he says there's a good indication 
that there's something going in and there's something coming out. So uh, obviously these uh, objects are in communication with uh, somebody at some distance. One recommendation from skeptics is to try to trick the aliens into presenting evidence, such as bringing back something from the spacecraft or set up a camera trap to record an abduction. This has been tried and in each case the cameras simply failed and the experiencers are so closely watched and controlled during an abduction, taking something is impossible. I've never done anything like set up a camera or any sort of recording device to try to um, track my experiences since they happen so infrequently. It would be a very disciplined effort to try to set up a, a camera for something that maybe happens only even at the peak of when I was having these experiences every few months, which is still a lot. Um, in the past decade or so, I really haven't had the same types of experiences that I had prior to this to, to try to do it now. But yeah, it, it happened so infrequently that I was never really able to set anything up that I thought would catch anything. I find that the best cases are cases where people are coming forward after 20, 30, and 40 years. Finally coming forward with these uh, cases that where they had lived at the time in Michigan and saw this, had a very close encounter, like myself, like my family, with a UFO. Not just a light in the sky, but a close encounter where it's uh, a couple hundred feet away and you can see it's perfectly silent. It has no uh, visible sign of uh, propulsion, has no wings, has no rotors, makes no sound. Uh, what is it? You know, and then it hovers, shoots off. What do we have that would, uh, you know, cancel out the inertia to where the pilot would not be a grease spot on the wall when it takes off? You see. So uh, yeah, I've seen, uh, I've heard of a lot of cases uh, with Michigan MUFON. Some of them have good evidence but uh, personally all I all I can say is my my sighting now I can't convince you I can't convince your viewers that my family actually saw this thing you know? but what would be my motivation I've written three books is it to sell books trust me you don't get rich selling books on UFOs <laughs> so but the purpose of the books is to uh, get the word out there to let people know we're not alone. If the presence of extraterrestrials on Earth is made known, or the aliens themselves reveal their interaction with people of Earth, what would be the reaction of the general populace? would you be able to handle the truth? I've written a book called uh, The Global Implications of the UFO Reality. 
<clears throat> and in it, I, I kind of theorize and speculate uh, as to how this world will take the news. Well, you know, France has come out with the Cometa report where their top scientists and military men have uh, investigated some of the cases in, in Europe and in France. And uh, it was kind of like an honest Project Blue Book. Our Project Blue Book I call Project Whitewash. <laughs> but the Cometa report uh, investigated these, these uh, uh, good quality sightings and uh, abduction cases. And they have concluded that uh, it is, is something real. If it ever gets to a point where it's officially acknowledged, I think we're in for some rough times. Um, when I found out about the LA riots, uh, just the very, very small percentage of people that rioted in LA so many years ago and what they were able to do to the city, I think a very, very small people will handle something like this very badly. They won't be able to accept it. It'll turn violent. And even, again, just with a very small percentage of people, they can cause a lot of mayhem. And I think that um, with the modern media being internet-based, that all sorts of opinions on it are going to be clashing with each other for years. I think it's just going to be awful, unfortunately. I mean, and it's not to say that it shouldn't happen, because it's a growth thing, you know, we need to get beyond this closed-minded view that we have that we're the only ones, but um, yeah, those are going to be some tough times, I think. A precise number of alleged abductees is uncertain. One of the earliest studies of abductions found 1,700 claimants, while other surveys argued that 5 to 6 percent of the general population might have been abducted. If true, that would be a huge number of people being taken. Best evidence I have found is my own sighting. Uh, seeing is believing. Uh, the most researchers have a lot better uh, cases than I have. Uh, uh, the Betty and Barney Hill case, the uh, uh, Peter Robbins doing the uh, Rendlesham Forest case. Uh, in Michigan, I, I, I'm from Michigan, of course, and I'm with Michigan MUFON. We get a lot of I saw a light in the sky cases. These light in the sky cases are uh, something else because these people are convinced that they're they're seeing something anomalous when it's just a light in the sky. I think that the best evidence, uh, and, and I do get asked occasionally, you know, what's the best evidence for the reality of uh, extraterrestrial, if that's where they're from, visitation. And I just think it's the raw number of people that have had these types of experiences. There are those who are open about it, but that's a minority for certain. A lot of people that I speak to will come up to me and say, I've never told anybody this before, but, and there are a lot of people that deny having these types of experiences when they know themselves that they've had them.
So, and the, it continues, it continues. It doesn't stop, it doesn't let up. Um, and, you know, generations in the past and generations to come, it seems, unless some major change happens, are going to continue on the same course of having these types of experiences regularly. And whether people choose to acknowledge it or ignore it, it, it doesn't matter to the phenomena. The phenomena will just continue. You can't make it go away. It's not a fad or anything like that. We may never know the full agenda of the beings responsible for alien abductions. Further research is needed. However, with each new case, we gain more knowledge of the alien agenda and we become better prepared for the day when we will have full disclosure.